Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun is back from his vacation, and he's got news of a superpower that we all possess. And that power comes with huge responsibility. Gracious God, we come to you hoping that all that we have sung and all that we have prayed and right now that everything that we do expresses our love for you, Lord. And again, we ask your Holy Spirit to just permeate this place. And may my words be your words at this point. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Words. I wanna talk about the power of words. Words are powerful. They can inspire and cast vision. They can create hate or they can bless. They can lead us into sin. Yes, sin. You know, not many of us may have realized, if you think about it, all of the Ten Commandments can be broken by and instigated by words. Words often lead us into the actions of lying and killing and stealing and bearing false witness and adultery and coveting other people's property, using the Lord's name in vain, worshiping other gods, or even profaning the Sabbath day. Words can make our lives better or bitter. And in this difficult time of our nation, are we using words for unity or polarization? Whether it's how we feel about the war in Afghanistan, the American president, the mandated taking of vaccines, or the wearing of masks, are we using words to comfort or to spread fear? Are we encouraging or discouraging people? Are our words words of love? This is the weekend of the 20th anniversary of 9-11 of the attack in our country. For the last 20 years, we have had a candle burning during our worship services in our sanctuary near our cross to, to uh, help us remember to pray words uh, for our nation as our response to this tragedy. And today we bathe it in a, a compassionate color of love. Last week on my vacation, I watched all five episodes of a Netflix documentary about September 11 called Turning Point. And I thought about my first cousin who was in the World Trade Center when the planes hit. Miraculously, he escaped. But to this day, he will not talk about it. I thought of my second distant cousin who was there but did not escape and died and left a wife and, and children. I thought of the thousands of others who were in the building and didn't make it. I thought of the first responders who went in to save people but did not make it. I thought of the words of a man named Osama bin Laden who called for this holy war against America that created the 9-11 attack. And I thought of our, our military and local government agencies that responded. How do words capture past events or present ones? Can we use words properly for good and not for evil, 
for affirmation, encouragement, and not for criticism, to build unity in Hawaii as well as in the world. Not surprising, the Bible has very clear teaching on the use of words. And for today's message, we're going to look at 12 verses in a book written by the brother of James, a brother of Jesus, and his name is James. Hear these words, and if you desire, please stand in honor of the word as I read these important words. And here's what it says in James chapter three, verse one. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by human beings, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Words are powerful. The passage starts off with a a warning that if you're a teacher, you will be judged more strictly. Makes sense but it's not um, meant to scare teachers or say that this passage is only about teachers. We see in the following verses, it's about all of us. James makes the point that a relatively small instrument like a rudder can turn a huge ship or a tiny bit in a horse's mouth can make the horse go this way or that way or a small spark can ignite a wildfire. In the same way, the Bible says the little organ of the tongue can set a fire, a world of evil in the body. Used wrongly, it can be like a fire from hell itself. It can be like deadly poison. Wow, this is like super strong language, right? James is trying to convince us that we must tame our tongues. He points out that out of our mouths can come both praise and swearing, and that is not how it should be. It should be only for praise and affirmation, encouragement. 
But it's not only the brother of Jesus who says such things. The Apostle Paul, a prime writer of the New Testament and the chief church planter of the first century church, sets this very high bar of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not yours, that it may benefit those who listen. For followers of Jesus, the Bible is shouting to us over the centuries to please, please watch what you say. And that words are powerful and what you say can be used for good or for evil. And what can come out of the mouth can be like a Gatling gun where we are shooting down people or it can be a refreshing source of strength, affirming, building people up. Today might be a time for self-inventory. Is it possible that most of our communication with people, whether in our family or in our job or with friends, is negative? Is it possible that the majority of our language is about criticizing or correcting. Tough test. When was the last time you affirmed your spouse or friend or a colleague or a boss or a subordinate or a teacher or a coach? But wait, we might think, hey, teachers or coaches are above us so they don't need any affirmation or gratitude. No, all people need affirmation, especially those on the front lines. And that's why nearly every Sunday we pray for, and by doing so, affirm those in the military, and first responders, and medical and mental health professionals. And we think of them, especially on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And yes, we pray for our leaders of our country, and our state, and our counties. But for our own personal circle of influence, perish the thought if we can't think of a time when we last affirmed a loved one. Or perish the thought if the last, um, if the last time was a long, long, long time ago. When most of our language is about criticizing or correcting people, it's like a jackhammer. And we are cutting down people, breaking their hearts. It's kind of like this video. Take a look at this. I wanted a graphic illustration of what happens when we constantly criticize or correct or complain. It's like drilling down on someone's heart until it breaks, just as you saw that piece of stone, which was hard, breaks off. Constant criticism is harsh to people's ears and hearts and souls. And many of us bear the scars of a parent or a coach or a friend who is highly critical of us and maybe we're just passing that on to others. You know, many years ago, I, I saw a physical education teacher berate what seemed like to be a, an eight-year-old boy on a basketball court. It was horrible. What was more horrible is that I didn't say anything. I still feel guilty about that today. I should have spoken up. The tongue is powerful. It can bless or scar people, as the Bible passage says. It can be fresh or 
water or brackish water coming out of our mouths. More recently, I was at a school and I heard a coach talking to a group of intermediate age girls and he was cursing them constantly using the F word and the S word in describing their poor team performance. And I flashed back in my mind to that eight-year-old boy who was yelled at by a coach. And I thought to myself, okay, not this time, not on my watch. I have learned my lesson, and this time I'm not gonna be quiet. And I wondered if there was a systemic issue in the school to have hired a coach like this. So this time, I went to see the principal who was horrified by this, who then went to talk to the athletic director, who in turn then talked to the coach. And they told me it would never happen again. This could have been scarring. No person, especially young girls, should ever have anyone talk to them in that way and demean them. But sometimes people need to stand up against them, against the bully to stand up for them against bullies. And maybe in God's timing, you're gonna be called to do that this week for someone else. What is it about our human nature that makes us wanna use our tongue for criticism or correction so often? We all know that it takes 10 compliments to like erase a criticism by, uh, said by a person. We are all sensitive people and, and we hate it when, when people do it to us. So then why do we do it to others? And sometimes we do it to the people we love the most. I notice sometimes families are kinder to friends outside the family than to those inside the family. They don't talk to friends or even strangers the way they sometimes talk to family members. And we often strive harder to be more polite or tolerant with outsiders than insiders. Why do we hurt the ones we love? But what is it about us that tears people down more than builds people up? Well, first of all, as the Bible says, it's hard to control the tongue. As the Broadway show Hamilton makes a big point that Alexander Hamilton is told that you should talk less, smile more. And then there's a lyric, fools who run their mouths off wind up dead. But Hamilton, in reality and in the show, did shoot off his mouth and died in an unnecessary duel. Sometimes we are verbal processors and we're not self-editing our words and we will hurt people like jackhammers. But we have to make a conscious effort to really choose our words carefully and to review our relationship with a person. Have we complimented this person six times more than criticizing? And if not, maybe as the old proverb says, then hold your tongue. Now let's go deeper on this. The second reason we too often hurt people with our words is that we are sinners. While there is a lot of good in people, there is surprisingly a lot of bad. And you ready for this? Jesus said this 
hard reality about our words. He said this in the Gospel of Matthew. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. From, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. And we read this and go, oh my. The words we speak come from our hearts. And if our hearts are not good, there's a lot of junk that comes out of our mouths that should go into a sewer. The reason we criticize life or others in general is that often we want to bring people down lower than we. Or we want to receive ourselves better than um, we think we are, and so we take others down. There is that saying that goes, hurt people hurt other people. Or to say it more concisely, hurt people hurt people. When we hurt others, it might be because we are dealing with our own scars in the past. And maybe we had a bad parent or a bad coach who was abusive, and so we think that is the model we should use with others. It has to do with our own self-perception and maybe self-esteem. Now, there's a movie, I don't know if you've seen it, it's called I Feel Pretty. Anybody see that with Amy Schumer? Okay. The main character is a woman called Renee, and that's who Amy plays. And she's kind of this meek woman who wants to be a cosmetic executive. And also she wishes that she was undeniably pretty. One day, uh, Renee is on an exercise bike in a gym, and she falls off and hits her head. And when she wakes up, she thinks she looks like a supermodel. And feeling gorgeous, she then acts with tremendous confidence, handing out her phone number to men, because she knows they want it, and being more assertive and confident, going for the job that she wants. Um, it has a surprise ending, which I, I won't reveal. But actress Amy Schumer says, uh, as an actress, she says, it is a movie about confidence and not being pretty makes the difference. She says, as we have more confidence and feel better about ourselves, we will live better lives. And I would say, eh, that's part of the truth, uh, so hold on to that thought. I will come back to that at the end. But how do we really have more confidence in our lives so that we might be more affirming with others? Well, I have two answers. One is practical, and the other is practical and theological, which will address the I Feel Pretty movie plot. The first is when we, when we have more confidence, yes, we will affirm others. And when we affirm others, we will feel more affirmed and be healthy emotionally. So how does that work? Have you ever heard of the theory of the dipper and the bucket? People say it's from a recent book by Donald Clifton, but I heard of this theory like decades ago, but he's the one who writes the book and makes money. So imagine a bucket with a dipper to put water in or out. Now here's the theory. When we criticize people, it is as if we're taking water out of their bucket with our dipper and they will feel weakened. They will feel demoralized and less of themselves as the water level of their souls get lower and lower because we keep using a dipper to take from their bucket. 
Their energy is sapped. Their, their, their water or their will might be, even feel poison. Their outlook on life gets diminished. However, when we affirm people, we are bringing water in our dipper and pouring it into their bucket, making them feel stronger, refreshed, restored. Their spirits are replenished. But here's where the theory gets more interesting. As we use um, our dipper to put more water into their bucket, uh, somehow our own buckets get filled with water with the same amount. Hence, the theory is that as we affirm others, we will feel affirmed. As we build into others, we feel built up. As we try to make others more healthy, we feel more healthy. Our souls get restored and refreshed. But here's where I think that theory um, misses and the I feel pretty movie misses. It has to do with love, but not any love, but unconditional love. Deep down inside, is it really only when we are seen as a supermodel or only when we think we look pretty or handsome that we'll feel good? Or only when we feel super popular that we're gonna feel good? No, I believe the real truth that should have been put into that movie the real truth of the dipper and the bucket is what we really want is unconditional love. And when we feel we are unconditionally loved, it's like we have a superpower. When we are unconditionally loved, we don't need to criticize or condemn or correct people constantly. When we are unconditionally loved, there is a greater chance we are able to and want to put more water into someone else's bucket. But where can we experience this unconditional love? People are sinfully flawed, so why depend on people to give us all the affirmation we want? Only Jesus Christ can love us unconditionally. It is Jesus Christ who knows the depths of our horrible, sinful hearts, and yet still loves us immensely. The proven record in the Bible, if you read the Gospels, is that no matter what people have done, adultery, stealing, embezzling, lying, murder, even terrorizing God's church as the Apostle Paul once did, what happens is that Jesus still loves them. Jesus reaches out to them like to Paul in the Damascus Road and he's willing to die for them even though they're so flawed. And who do we know on earth who knows all of our private or public sins who still roots for us and prays for us like Jesus? Who do we know who has been tortured and then gave up his life for us like Jesus? When he was condemned to suffer on the cross because of humankind's guilt and stupidity and sin, what did Jesus say to God the Father when he was on that cross? Incredibly, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is Jesus Christ we should devote our lives to. 
we should get to know him better. Talk to him. Follow him. Follow him. You know, I don't ask people if there are Christians anymore. That's too general. Oftentimes they say to me, of course I'm a Christian. I, I'm an American. And that doesn't cut it with me. I ask instead, um, are you a follower of Jesus? And they go, whoa, 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 what do you mean that? Follower, follower of Jesus. Because that gets more to the core of it. It means I seriously follow this Jesus because he is the only one who loves me unconditionally. He died for me. Hence, I follow him to the best of my ability, not perfect, but to the best of my ability, I follow him in how I socialize, do business, spend money, spend time. To be a real Christian means to be a Christ follower. It means our walk has to be our talk. Did you hear that? Our walk has to be our talk, that what we say to people, how we live with them, comes out of a knowledge that I am unconditionally loved. I don't need to tear down people when I'm so loved. I can be patient and kind and forgiving as Jesus forgave me. I, I don't have to condemn others because of how they feel about vaccines or their political party. I believe when people know deep in their souls that they are unconditionally loved, they can be kinder to others. And I'm going to preach more about that next week, about kindness. They will want to put more water into people's buckets and not take them out. But here's the kicker. It's not just any water. It's not just the water of positive thinking helps, but it won't last. We should be putting in the water that is about Jesus. Now what does that mean? Now remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus once met a woman at Jacob's well and, and she was struggling with her sin and looking at the water in the well, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to her, him, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And she finally gets it. And she's so excited that it's the living water is about Jesus. She runs to tell everybody about him. Friends, it is Christ alone who gives us this living water of unconditional love and the power to love the unlovable. In fact, he is the living water. Friends, there has to be a time when we get serious about how we talk to others or even talk to ourselves. And I don't think we will ever humanly have the power to change unless we have a higher power and that power has the name Jesus, who is real. He lived here for three years and he knows our struggles and he is God and he lives today. This is our chance today to live more for him and follow him and allow him 
to change how we talk to others. As James said, out of the same mouth comes the bad and the good, the cursing and the praise. So let's lead a life that is serious about worshiping God and how we talk to others. May we invite more of his spirit to reside in us. May we experience more of his unconditional love. So let's talk to him right now in prayer. So everyone, please join me in prayer. Lord, in some ways, this talk has been a hard talk. It's a talk of great self-examination. But maybe for some of us, it is a talk that leads to confession. That we have fallen short in this area and that we do tend to criticize your correct people way more than we should. And we've left you out of it. Lord, I believe there are people in this room and who are watching online who are at a point in their life that they might want to say, okay, this is it. I want to commit my life to Christ. And for some, maybe it's the very first time or the very first time in a long time. And for some, it might be a recommitment saying, Lord, I have gotten so offline and I really haven't been following you. I believe in you. But that's not enough. Even Satan believes in your existence. I need to follow you. And so, Lord, I'm going to lead these people here presently or online in a prayer. And some of you may want to say this prayer with me as a prayer of commitment or recommitment. And you can just pray along with me in the silence of your hearts. As I just say this simple prayer. Lord, sorry that I haven't lived the way I should have. Sorry that maybe I have ignored you. Sorry I've been quite negative with people and negative in self-talk about myself not giving you the honor and glory for having created these people and created ourselves. So Lord, I want to say I'm sorry. And I want to say thank you for forgiving me and always bestowing on me your unconditional love. It's just so hard to believe at times. And so now I ask, please come into my life. I want to serve you in a new way, a fresh way. Please have your Holy Spirit fill me right now, right at this moment. And I'll do all I can with the power of the Holy Spirit to follow you in all that I do socially, business-wise, how I spend my money. I just really want to follow you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you you for sticking with me when I haven't 
always stuck with you. And may I show others the same love that you have shown me. In Christ's name, amen. You know, I wanted to say that just before um, Chavez leads us in this last song that um, for some of you online, if you've made that prayer, um, just hit that commit button, says I commit my life to Jesus, and just hit that now. And if you have, um, if you want to, also hit the prayer button because someone would love to pray with you and just kind of seal that before the, lo- before the Lord. And for those of you here in person, I'm, um, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come forward, but I am going to ask you to do something a little bold, that if you prayed a prayer of a first-time commitment or a recommitment, um, would you mind just raising your hand right now? And I, as your friend and pastor, would just confirm that, that you did that. And no shame, but just say, this is something I want to say before the Lord. If any of you have done that, if you want to just raise your hand right now, and, and I, as your pastor and friend, will confirm that before God. And then for you online, feel free to hit that button. Well, it all boils down to the amazing love God has for us and that we can um, express our love to him. And uh, before I give the final blessing, I just want to say that those of you online, that you have the opportunity to go into um, connect groups And so right after the service ends, there's a button there that says connect groups and you can hit that. And that puts you, if you so desire, to be in small groups to further discuss the uh, sermon. And there are discussion questions and there's a group facilitator. So if you wanna do that, hit that button. And of course, if you want to um, have prayer with somebody, hit that button. And so uh, we're still connected in that way. Uh, For here in the room, if you would like some prayer, the prayer team would love to meet with you just outside that, um, just go outside the glass doors in that beautiful setting of the aina and the nature out there. Um, They would love to pray with you for whatever you want, emotionally, spiritually, physically, for healing. Uh, They would love to to pray uh, for you and, and with you. And now for everybody here in person and online, please receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your hearts the wonderful, unconditional love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Ahui ho. We'll see you next week for part two. And uh, hope to see you then. God bless and aloha. The power of the tongue and our words is a superpower that we all have. It's a power when used with love can uplift and change the world in Jesus' name. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and now on YouTube. In-person worship continues, but still in limited capacity. There are two live services at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. If you'd like to participate, we ask that you sign up through the website on a weekly basis. 
and both services will be streamed live on the church websites. Once again, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Please continue to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, registration for in-person worship, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.